This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Yeah, we do. Hands all went there because they were clean. And they were clean. That's absolutely. The ice cream was fantastic. It was good. Vanilla soft serve. So anyway, what, I before, digress. But that's why I'm on here. Because I'm a digressor. You are the Am digressor. I digressor. Digressor professor. Am I the digressor or the digressee? I guess I'm the digressor. Digressor. You're and professor. And you're the you're yeah. professor digressor. Because we used to have lessor. That's definitely fact. <laughs> property, <laughs> property. First year. I don't want to say nightmares. It wasn't nightmares, but lessor, lessee. So let me ask. Mortgagee. Mortgagee. Before we go. Agricola. Agricolam. Agricolas. Agricolarum. See that you're born an Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino, then they make you roly poly, you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano, and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your moderator, John Viola, here with two of my favorites, Pat O'Boyle and Rosella Rago. And today we are celebrating, uh, a little belatedly, yesterday was National Ice Cream Day. Hallelujah. So July 19th, National Ice Cream Day, and we figured what a great excuse to talk about the incredible Italian imprint in this country and in the world on ice cream because ice cream obviously wasn't invented by Italians. It's been eaten for millennium in different forms and ices and gelatos and sherbets and things like that. But I think when you look at the globalization of it as a treat and standardization of it, a lot of Italians at the root of that. It's going to be a great conversation. And then a little bit later on, my cousin-in-law, Nick, who we'll introduce, he's an artisanal ice cream maker here in New York, and he's going to call in and tell us about his Italian-American-inspired ice cream brand, Bonabona Ice Cream. So that should be a lot of fun. So before we start, I just want to set the table by asking you guys one word answer, everybody's favorite ice cream flavor. I think for me, it's honestly, if I'm really honest, it's pistachio. I think that's my favorite flavor. Oh, John, you're so Sicilian. <laughs> What's that's yours? like... That's another indictment. That is that is the soul of Sicily. Is written yeah. in pistachio. Yeah, it's true. I am. What's your favorite flavor? Me? Yeah. I'm thinking back now, and I would have to say, soft serve vanilla ice cream because my grandmother would bring me every night for soft serve vanilla ice cream. I'm, I'm getting I'm I'm getting an emotional moment about it now because I'm thinking about it ah. as a kid. My grandmother with her bad knees walking me down that hill every single solitary night, just stuffing me like a little turkey. Wait, like Carvel soft serve? Rand's in Jersey City was famous for their vanilla soft serve. And every night I would get a plastic cup of vanilla soft serve with the hot chocolate sauce syrup on it. And every single solitary night, my grandmother put the little fat boy down there, four or five years old, walking down the hill. So I guess it's part of my soul. I don't know. Yeah. Like there's the adult flavors. Like yeah, I love pistachio. I love everything. I love rum raisin. I love gelatos, any kind of gelato. I have never had one I didn't like. I love ices. But if you asked me, God said to me, you know, you, you, you're taking off tomorrow. What you would you want is your last ice cream? I probably would want that ice cream from Rams. But that that's the that's the soul. That's the beauty of ice cream. It's got you know the beauty is, of being an Italian, having an Italian grandmother. Yeah, that's true. And taste brings you back. Bro, what's your favorite? You know, it's pistachio. But every time I go, I never really just get pistachio. Like my favorite cone is pistachio, fior di latte, and fragola. Wow, that wow! Let I, me tell you something. I have to have a trifecta. That is brilliant. That should be the new like you know. I always was bothered by the fact that Neapolitan ice cream was chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. And I remember thinking to myself like, "What's so Neapolitan about this?" I didn't realize it was the whole Italian image of ice cream in this country. 
that's a great new Neapolitan, red, white, and green. Great flavors. I'm like you. Whenever I go, the Neapolitan was pistachio. It became chocolate over time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, Spumoni or Neapolitan is pistachio, chocolate, and cherry or strawberry. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was that was the Americanization. The Jersey version of Neapolitan originally it was it was vanilla, strawberry, and pistachio. It was very much a patriotic ice cream. And what happened? Americans didn't like pistachio. I mean, Americans pistachio kind of was a step too far. Really? Oh, sure. I mean, can you imagine a 1920s or 1950s trying to sell pistachio, which is kind of a different, you'd have to get California nuts and stuff like pistachio, California produces pistachios, but chocolate's a much easier flavor to integrate and to kind of sell to the pub. Vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate's a much more of American palate. Yeah. The vanilla, strawberry, and pistachio. But can you imagine someone who's never seen a pistachio before, an American, yeah. having to pronounce the word pistachio? That's true. That's true. Pista, pista chicho, pista chicho. <laughs> I'll have chocolate. It's pistachio. <laughs> yeah, it does make it a lot easier. I mean, pistachio, I get. Pistachios, you know, Bronte, they cultivate some of the most incredible pistachios. If you don't think that there could be a difference, there is. And Bronte pistachios are some of the greenest pistachios you'll ever see in your entire life. I understand strawberry for the most part. Uh, I, I understand, you know, my version with the Fior di Latte because, you know, thou cannot claim to have ever tasted ice cream if thou has not tasted Fior di Latte. Wait, well, let it, well, explain to everybody, though. Fior di Latte is a very Italian, Italian concept. I, I don't know if it translates in the U.S. G- explain how Fior di Latte is made, what it is. So Fior di Latte is like supposed to be the pure milk flavor. It's not vanilla. Yeah. Because there's no vanilla bean in it. Yeah. So it's really supposed to be the sweetness of the milk. It's really just like a milk flavor, which sounds boring. And you don't get it here. No, we don't get it here. We don't, what do we get here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't get it here. But that was actually like probably the first gelato flavor that I ever tasted when I went to Italy at my aunt's house. She had this giant plastic carton of Fior di Latte gelato from the supermarket. Uh, that carton was destined to become some sort of Tupperware and have some sort of a legume eventually. Because the, the, <laughs> if, if you don't know, in Italy, the containers of gelato, they're not cardboard cartons or paper. They're all plastic. Yeah. And they're, they're future Tupperware. Yeah. And it's interesting. Fior di Latte, like if you make gelato, like we'll talk about throughout the show, it's the base for everything. It is the base yes. of ice cream. It's like, you know. It's it the, really is. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in, a, in a literal and a figurative sense, absolutely. Yeah, it's like the stem cell of ice cream, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you have to start with it, and it is great. And I, I think about going to Italy and getting uh, acclimated to their flavors and the, the different things that you could have there. You do get spoiled. It's so much more flavorful, and you just get a different experience in every bite. So I'm really excited to talk about this, and I think it's important to establish that Ice cream is as ancient as many of the things we enjoy. The Egyptians were creating ices with honeys and spices and pure ice. The ancient Romans were making a version of ice cream. Alexander the Great was said to make ice cream with like honeys and nectars. And so, you know, the, the roots, we don't necessarily have to go into. I, I think back to... I, no, I think it's important though. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'll tell you why, because I like to go to a lot with oral history, what people remember, what people think. And in the, the south of Italy, when it would snow, they would gather the snow, even in Roman times. And the snow would be packed in deep, deep holes in the mountain. They would, they would dig out, let's say. Cisterns. Cisterns almost. And this went into Italy into the 50s because there's, there's still people around now who remember those days very, very much so. And they would pack straw on the bottom. And then they would pack a layer of snow, straw, snow, straw snow and this would stay frozen into the summer now two things came out of it one thing was if you had a very very bad fever think of the world before it's like antibiotics if you had someone who was burning a very high fever they would go up to the mountain and they would take out some snow and bring down the cold snow to pack the person in to try to bring down the fever. so the first concern was medicinal the second concern was it would be used for ice cream making the more so the very rich, the nobles, they would use like these copper. Remember, copper is a great conductor of temperature. So they would have a drum, they would pack in snow, they would put it in another container, 
and they would beat up the milk and the sugar and eggs in there. And that would be, they were the forerunners of ice cream. But what was much more practical in the sense of the expenditure of resources was that they would use the frozen snow and just put flavorings over it. But the most common one, especially in the Trento in the south of Italy, was they would use vino cuoto. And vino cuoto was, when you make wine, you boil down the must. So in the, in the winemaking process, the must is the, it's like the grape juice before it turns into wine. They would take some of that and they would cook it down to a very, very, very thick, sweet syrup, almost like a thick, a sweet grape syrup. Like a molasses, sort of. Like a molasses, yeah. yes. Yeah, because in Puglia, vincotto is a really big part of our culinary traditions. Some people believe it has medicinal purposes. And where I'm from in Puglia, we make vincotto out of the wine must as well as fig. Yes, fig. In Calabria, they make fig as well. And that would be almost like a snow cone. Mm. The vino quarter would be poured over the snow. That's like granita. Yes. Now, my grandmother's family comes from Piano di Sorrento. And Sorrento now is known as the limoncello capital of the world, the, the, the birthplace of it. But that's really a phenomenon that took off kind of in tandem with the tourist industry in the 80s. Even the Delizia di Limone, which is kind of known now as like the Sorrento and the Amalfi Coast lemon dessert. Which, fun fact, is my favorite thing on the planet. Is it really? Really. How could it not be? <laughs> that was invented in the 60s. That was like tiramisu. That was the 60s invention. But it's the most, like, I mean, if you love lemon. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's the most palatable, wonderful thing that has ever happened. But the real ancient use for lemon in a dessert was the lemon ice, was the granite, which was mixing the cold ice with a lemon juice and a sugar syrup. That is the real forerunner of today's Italian ice creams because sherbet is, is an Arabic word. Yeah. It's, it's a Mediterranean product. I would imagine that if you want to take the granita, the sense of the granita, which is coffee mixed with snow, or the usurbet uh, in Campania, which would be the vino quota, the, the grape syrup poured over the ice. But the concept of the cream and the egg is much more of an Arabic Sicilian birth. And another thing, too, is that Neapolitans are pastry cream lovers, the crema pasticcera, custard. So the theory is that custard, pastry cream, crema pasticcera, came from the French noble court. The famous Marie Antoinette, her sister was also the queen of Naples. Custard came to Naples, and because Naples is a very hot place in the summer, and the rich people would have their chefs make pastry cream, they would fold in very delicately whipped cream, sometimes whipped egg whites, even they would put whipped egg whites into their lemon ice, and they would put that into the silver cup de convivia, and they would put a little candy cherry on top, and that would be the ice cream of the rich and famous. But, you know, the funny thing is that very few people know this. History is contrary to some of the research that's done. You know, we take for granted in, in every bite that we eat is an amazing history, an amazing anthropology, and we wanted to share a little bit of that to give sort of a base-level understanding of where this comes from. So there's so many ancient traditions, like we're talking about, from granita to ice creams and sherbet, you point out. Ice cream comes into the modern parlance when Marco Polo returns from his voyages to the Far East, comes back to Italy in the 1500s, and brings this recipe for what's basically modern-day sherbet. And that is the, I think, beginning of the modern take on, on what ice cream is going to become. One of the interesting things, you know, you mentioned that the French cuisine becomes the royal cuisine in Naples and in many of the courts across Europe. But the interesting thing is France was introduced to ice cream by Italians in a couple of different waves. So first and foremost, in 1553, when Catherine de' Medici from Florence becomes the wife of Henry II of France and the Queen of France, she brings this kind of concept of an Italian ice cream that's evolving into becoming ice cream over to the French court. And it's always been interesting to me because Catherine de' Medici is a fascinating figure. She's very much a proto-Italian, very proud of being from the Italian peninsula. And I remember going to an event, Pat, you might've been there. I think it was a NIAF event years and years ago. And the, one of the former chairman of the foundation was up telling a story. And he said, you know, there was a rumor from the 1500s on. Uh, apparently the French royal family after those years had a congenitive predisposition towards vestigial tails, meaning that the last links on the spine grew out to look almost like a little rump of a tail oh, on all the, I know I can only imagine on all these royals and the French decided that it had come 
from the lesser Italians through Catherine de Medici. And he was, you know, obviously speaking to a room full of 3000 Italian Americans. So that was met with a few boos. And he said, you know, I want to share with everybody some good news. Uh, there have been huge leaps in DNA and genetic science now. And it's been conclusively decided that the gene towards this was indigenous to the French royal line, and it had nothing to do with Catherine de Medici. And everybody cheered. And he said, so it's the only thing that we didn't give to France was the vestigial tail of their royal family, which I thought was pretty <laughs> funny. And it, it's appropriate today because ice cream, like I say, does come to France through Italy. And it's really, this has been the most fascinating part of this research for me. There was a gentleman, a Sicilian gentleman, whose real name was Francesco Couteau, but Francesco went by Procopio after the Roman Procopius. And he went to France in 1686 and founded what became the oldest existing cafe in the world, Cafe Procope, uh, which is the Italian pronunciation. I don't speak French. But as I say, the oldest existing cafe in the world still survives in Paris today from 1686. And it's here that he introduces ice cream and becomes credited as the inventor of modern gelato. So it's an Italian product in France, gets disseminated around the world by French influence on, on the royal courts. But it's, it's in the 1800s that it starts to evolve away from a product for the rich and famous and into a product for everybody. And the people that come through his cafe are from all parts of the world because it's one of the most important salons in Paris, one of the most important cities in the world. And Americans like Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Paul Jones, they eat through there. They enjoy this ice cream. And so the first official account of ice cream here in the New World is a letter in 1744 by a guest of the governor of Maryland, Governor Blodden. And eventually we find the first advertisement for ice cream in 1777 for a confectioner named Philip Lindsay, who announces that he's selling ice cream available almost every single day. So again, an Italian right there at the heart of the founding of the country and this passion we have for ice cream. And it goes on to be like this American treat that every stop along the way has Italians there. The first ice cream cones, the first stores here and in Britain, they're all Italian immigrants. You got to understand so many of the episcopacy, meaning the bishops of the Catholic Church in Scotland, they have the most Italian names possible, right? And there's a huge, I shouldn't say huge, but there's a, there's a substantial Italian population in Scotland. Oh, yeah. And they, they were in one business. They either made ice cream or sold fish and chips. So ice cream on the continent was very much connected with the Italian population. Apparently, the first ever frozen chocolate recipe was from 1693 in Naples. A gentleman named Antonio Latini created a recipe for frozen chocolate. And we all know south of Italy was one of the first places that chocolate really took hold after the Colombian exchange and the New World flavor started to come through. So Naples was the introduction of uh, chocolate ice cream to the world. So yet another claim to fame by the, uh, the wonderful city, by the bay. But yeah, I mean, this is where in the popular imagination, we get the idea of the Neapolitan flavor and the Italian imprint on ice cream everywhere. And I know, Pat, you pointed out in one of the conversations we had another episode, I don't think it made the cut, that ice cream cones really came to be in Hoboken, New Jersey for a minute. Hoboken, Hoboken, Italian Americans in Hoboken invented the ice cream cone. Yeah, it's really, it's become a big part of who we are. It's a great story. Yeah. And it's one that you don't think about, you know, ice cream is so American like apple pie, but the gospel of ice cream was spread by Italian evangelists around the country and around Europe, like we're talking about. John, you should give them a little bit of history about the ice cream cone. As far as I understand it, the ice cream cone was first, first introduced by an Italian in Manchester, England. The whole Bulgarian people contend, they, they contend it came from Hoboken. So in 1820, there's a, there's a cookbook by a guy named Guglielmo Jarin called the Italian confectioner. And he describes how to make an ornamental cone basically, and eventually takes out a patent rolling like a wafer and a little bit different than the modern ice cream cone. But the first patent that we see for an ice cream cone in the United States is 1903, a guy named Italo Marconi, who's an Italian immigrant from New York. He lived in Hoboken. That's Hoboken's claim. His factory was in Hoboken. Yeah. Cause a lot of Italians in Jersey city actually worked for that ice cream cone factory. Yeah, he so he takes out this patent for ice cream cone. And he gets the, the the methodology patented, but they will not let him patent the idea of a cone, unfortunately for him. And he moves his facility, opens his facility in Hoboken. I think it lasted until 1938. This was like the premier ice cream cone factory in the country. 
and uh, Italo Marconi was recognized as the inventor, the introducer here in the United States. It took off apparently in 1904 in the St. Louis World's Fair where somebody started serving ice cream cones, but it was his introduction here to the U.S. And one thing I'd love to talk about is some of the experiences we've had because we're going to premiere this week our latest episode of Greetings from Italian America, one of the two that Roe and I did long before this horrible outbreak in New Orleans. And we got to stop at Ricardo's Gelateria from 1903, I believe it is, if I recall. And, you know, it really started as Granita, but in Ricardo's, their claim to fame, one of their claims to fame, is these amazing ice cream confections, like the... Uh, Shaloni. Yeah, Shaloni. What was it? Like uh, the, the Spumonis and the Cassata ice creams and Spumonis. And the, um, what was the almond one? There was oh, an almond one. The Toroncini, I think it is. Yes. Yeah, and invented there. That's a big part to me of, of like the Italian-American ice cream culture is these frozen desserts, more so even than like the just scoop serve, right? Th- their history is is a long one. You know, my grandmother always said that the Italian bakeries in the summer became ice cream places in Jersey City and Hudson County because you're in a world with 13 people living in three rooms, a lot of yell, a lot of kids running around. And it's high. And without air conditioning, you know, it's, it's hard to eat heavy things. So the Italian pastry shops, they all began to sell their lights. Lindhurst Pastry Shop, Lindhurst, New Jersey, I think is the last real old time where they're a pastry shop all year long. And then in the summer, they have their ices. Matter of fact, have you ever heard of Yum Yum, the flavor? No. It's kind of like a vanilla cream. Uh, Yum Yum, Roman Holiday. Uh, Roman Holiday is my absolute fav- favorite. Roman Holiday has chocolate chips and candy cherries. And it's kind of like a vanilla flavor. Mm. Lindhurst Pastry Shop still sells them in the summer months. But they are apparently Italian-American flavors that went from Hoboken and that now survive in Lindhurst. I mean, if you're in New Jersey and you talk about ice cream, there's also Nostos. Oh, I love Nostos. Nostos, another, I, I think, they're very good people. I don't know them, but I have friends who know them. They're ice cream producers. They're in Down Neck, Newark. It's a great area. Down Neck was a, one of the Italian neighborhoods in Newark. Um, it's not as Italian anymore now, but Nasto's is still there. Nasto's vanilla is the most delicious vanilla ice cream I have ever had. I love, love, love Nasto's vanilla ice cream. But they also produce the old time, the Spumoni. It's another one they call Reginetta, I think. And they're all combinations of amaretti cookies or nuts or cherries or candy cherries. And they have the Tortoni in the little cups. Um, yeah, they're phenomenal. If you want the old time Italian-American Spumoni, Tortoni experience, I would go to Nasto's. And they have another one called Tartufo, which is a different flavor covered by sugar. And please, John, do not, do not, do not edit this out. We are getting nothing for these promotions. So if you if you get a lot of uptick in business, maybe the next time I come in, you want to give me a free ice cream cone just to make me feel good. And for me, like when I, whenever I'm out, especially at like a really old school Italian-American restaurant, the idea of having Spumoni or Tartufo or Tortoni or one of those treats at the end, it's like a, it's like a time travel kind of thing. Cause you, you, we used to have them in the house. My mom or my grandmother would get them and, you know, but it was a big treat to have and you just don't see them that much anymore. Because I think, I think that um, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. We, we went to goo. We're a goo culture now. So we like, like, um, marshmallow, peanut butter, maple, like all this stuff kind of thrown in and goo, like cooking. Yeah, yeah. That's not an old school Italian flavor. No, you're right. You know, when you have commercial ice cream, you know, major brands you can get in the supermarket, they didn't market to an Italian powder or Italian-American. And unfortunately, Italian-American kids, the reason why your kid doesn't like fish or doesn't like greens for so many people is that they're not exposed to it. Too. Yeah. Bro, what was, how old were you the first time you had broken up? 18 months? Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't tell you that, Pat. But that's what I'm saying. It's it's a part of who you are because you had it so young. I think we can have our own line of Italian-American baby foods. 100%. That's our next business. Bro, that's could what... you put Brokidab in a jar? Like the Gerber's jar? Oh, uh, bro, we'll take your baby picture. The picture, <laughs> I, the, the great oh, picture God, from your first no. birthday. You're going to become the Italian, you're going to become the Molay's Gerber baby. <laughs> But, you how, know, do you say, how do you say Gerber baby in Molise? We can't do that because out of spite, all of the Molise people will like not buy that baby. <laughs> of course. <laughs> then, you know, if they know you're on it, they'll never buy yeah. it. I, mean, I think about like the fava and chigoria puree. That's like a perfect baby food. We should be serving that. It is. It yeah. is. 
I think we got a line here. I think we got a business. We should call the line a creature. <laughs> a creature. A creature. We're yeah. gonna put. You got to be on. You have to be on the lake. Your baby. Uh, it I sounds. Tell you we're doing this. I bet your baby picture is way cuter than mine. My baby pictures were sad baby pictures. <laughs> <laughs> you have happy pictures. Well, let me tell you. This sounds. Mr. here. <laughs> Well, this sounds like a great business opportunity for us if we need to add yet another piece of work into our mission to preserve Italian-American culture. But while we're speaking of business, it's a great opportunity for us to have my uh, cousin-in-law call in. So my cousin-in-law, Nick DeBona, let me just introduce him before we call him in. He is a great chef. He was the winner of uh, Chopped, worked in the business from when he was a teenager, started a very successful restaurant in Westchester called Madison Kitchen for those people in the New York or Connecticut area that might have tried it. and Along the way, Nick started serving homemade chef-crafted ice cream or gelato, which we'll talk to him about in a little bit, in the restaurant. It became so popular, patrons started asking for takeaways, and that grew into a passion for him that uh, has actually taken him away from the restaurant business. He sold the restaurant and started this new business, Bona Bona Ice Cream, and it's taken off like a rocket all over the tri-state area and now becoming available all over the country. So, Nick... Glad to have you on the Italian American podcast. John. Nick, can you hear us? I can hear you loud and clear, brother. Oh, I'm really happy to have you call in. We've been talking about the history of ice cream gelato, how much our people have meant to the art here. And I thought you'd be a great call in for everybody to get a chance to hear a little bit about what you're doing. Beautiful. Thank you for thinking about me. You know, one of the things I, I love about your project, and I, I share it with everybody I can, first of all, it looks like now your stuff is available worldwide now, right? As of a couple of days ago? Uh, nationwide. Yeah. We just started shipping um, our pints nationwide, which is really um, interesting. It's like any other new venture or new revenue source in any business that you have. It's, it's a baby. You know, we have a little baby and we have to uh, kind of make it grow and we're going to learn by it. And it's, it's just like a baby. You have to build it up. So just because there's so many things that could go wrong that are yeah. out of your control. But um, it's going to help us a lot in the future to try to get our ice cream into a lot of people's hands. It's, it's, it's awesome, actually. So one of the things I love about, so, you know, obviously Nick's my cousin-in-law, and I've been around him from before he became the mad scientist of Italian-American ice cream, as I call him. But, <laughs> um, you know, your stuff has this Italian-American bent to it. It's like a, a hybrid between ice cream and gelato. It's the flavors are really Italian American. And I love that about it. What from your background impacted how you wanted to make this stuff and the kind of recipes you wanted to make? And what are some of the flavors that you got from your Italian American heritage? It's funny being Italian American, you have that, you have that mix of, you know, this tradition, this work ethic, whatever Italian is to you growing up, you know, and then you have all your friends that you grew up with that don't have that. And you have to kind of meet in the middle of both lives, right? Yeah. So I always had that growing up, having a, a parent from Italy uh, and a big Italian family. But in, in general, the ice cream is the same way. So you have gelato. That is this beautiful, creamy, delicious, kind of whatever the flavor is, the pure taste of the flavor. And then you have ice cream, which is this fun thing that everybody loves. And it's very similar to gelato, but you're allowed a little bit more play and wiggle room with it. So when we started the ice cream, it was just like any other food item growing up in an Italian household. Everybody loves food. It's just, you know, you do this, you do that, and then you eat. You do this, yeah. you do that, and then you eat. So, you know, ice cream just was, you know, I'm a chef. I had a restaurant and ice cream was on my dessert menu. It just was another homemade item that I would make and, you know, my customers would enjoy. And it, you know, out of nowhere became my main focus, which is always interesting when something like that happens. Um, I did not expect it at all. And it, it, you know, ice cream is fun. So, you know, when we started really getting noticed, it was oddly enough, the Italian American flavors. So like Italian rainbow cookie was one of my go-tos, you know, uh, anytime you have a thing of cookies, there's for whatever reason, a lot less rainbow cookies than there is everything else. So you're kind of fighting for those rainbow cookies, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they always disappear first. Off the <laughs> they always tray, disappear so. first, you know? Yeah. You're like, you're like, damn, 
You just got the last rainbow. Like, <laughs> how many times have you said that? Ends up having to like fight Nona for the rainbow cookie, <laughs> the last rainbow cookie. No one wins. Always fighting for the rainbow cookie. Always. I was at my cousin's house the other day, and you know everyone has kids and stuff. So the little guy, he got the last rainbow cookie, and I was legit upset. I, was like, <laughs> I, really, I really wanted that rainbow cookie. So and he can't, you know, fight the kid. <laughs> uh, no, of course. Not. But you know, so rainbow cookie was a no-brainer. Cannoli, right? How interesting would that be to make into an ice cream? Cannoli, pinolina, you know, and that kind of was like growing up Italian American, you have that other kind of side. So for me, I love going to the Italian flavors that I grew up eating, you know, so it's always fun to, to make an Italian flavor because that's how the ice cream brand kind of grew initially in the beginning. And people were very interested in the Italian flavors. Really, Rainbow Cookie was the flavor that started the whole brand. So there is a fundamental difference between gelato and ice cream. So since you are the gelato mad scientist, can you just explain why your ice cream is different? Sure. So you have two things going on. You have the facts of why ice cream and gelato are different. And then you have like this, this marketing thing where you want to make stuff familiar to people. So you're not cutting yourself into only one avenue. You know what I mean? Take beer, for example. You know, there's different types of beer. And then all of a sudden people started getting really creative with beer. And now there's this new craft beer, right? So it's really the same thing. My ice cream, I'm calling it ice cream because it's just easier to say ice cream, right? You don't want to get all technical. Oh, well, technically there's no eggs like gelato. Technically our product is spun in a gelato machine. Technically we have high fat like American ice cream. So, so gelato is always less fat than American ice cream. Usually a lot more milk than cream if there is any cream. Usually no eggs. And then where American ice cream traditionally has eggs and traditionally has high fat content. And then the other difference is gelato is spun much slower. So less air is going in. So that's why even though gelato is usually made with milk instead of cream, it's still so creamy because a lot less air is incorporated in it. Hmm. Where the, the ice cream is spun faster. So Think of like a Briars. Like Briars is your legit traditional American ice cream. It's like airy and light, but there's a lot more fat packed in there and fat gives flavor. So my ice cream is both. We literally have a gelato machine from Italy that we're making all of our products from. So it's spun with less air. There's no eggs like gelato, but then we're putting all the fat like American ice cream and flavor in it. So <laughs> it's just, you, you, it. get, you get left with this awesome product, you know? This hybrid gelato ice cream, exactly. Italian-American, like, throughout this entire theme. I love that this is, like, a, a, a big theme for you and something that you were committed to weaving throughout your entire business model. Yeah, I mean, you know when you know. You know when you're going to marry somebody or you know when you're going to do something. I just knew. It just started making more and more sense literally by the day. And it's never easy to transition something, especially your life and business and stuff like that. But I just knew in my heart that it was way better for me personally. And just, I, it's fun. You know, it's fun. Everybody likes ice cream. You get to still be a chef and have fun in that sense, but you're putting smiles on people's faces 10 out of 10 times, you know, it's, it's more fun. I, I always respected that you see a vision and you follow it and nothing dissuades you. But I remember sitting with you at your former restaurant when you were doing everything and we're talking about how you were just passionate about ice cream and you said, you know, I want to open this shop. That's an experience for everybody. And you know, that whole allure, cause I having become part of your family. Now I know what a big family event is like in your experience and mine and all of ours and the shop you've now opened for over almost two years now, right? Yeah. December. So we're a little over a year and a half. Yeah. And it's, it's like coming into a mix of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and an Italian family house because People are there. You've done, you've got a bar with milkshakes. You've got the sandwiches, the cakes. And my favorite thing is you've got a room for those people who are in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. You should definitely make your way over to Bona Bona Ice Cream in Port Chester uh, in Westchester County. You've got a room where kids can have their birthday parties or adults can have their parties, frankly. And the ceiling just shout, uh, shoots out sprinkles. Yeah. We've done like for adults, we've done gender reveal parties. So blue sprinkles or pink sprinkles. That is very against the gender reveal part. Oh, God. So what do they think? You cascade them in sprinkles? 
But what happens? They all fall on the floor? Would you vacuum them? It's nice, Pat. It's a good time. Relax. But that sprinkle, you could have yeah. waste all those sprinkles. They got to oh, fall God. out of the sky. <laughs> and everyone eats ice cream, right? It makes the biggest mess you've ever seen. And you got to clean it up. I hope you charge Everybody, them through yeah, the nose. I hope off. you get every blood a drop of blood out of them. They got to go, oh, wow. Then they give the kid a whacked out name. I'm, please stop. Oh, this. my God. Nick, thank God Pat does not work for you because you <laughs> cool. and then the sprinklers oh, coming cool, out, they're coming out blue. What happens with twins? There's a double mess. Oh, we got a blue and pink. Pat, double I know, I know, I know where we're having your next Pat. birthday party, Freaking Pat. Yeah, I saw it. It's gonna have a next birthday. No, Nick, why they put you through this? You should throw them out of your store. You're, you're invited. <laughs> you're invited to the next sprinkle shower, Pat. I hope I can change your mind. We're gonna put goggles on you, and you're gonna love it. <laughs> See, Nick, you got you painted like the grim, as the grim reaper, the grimace, or the bad guy. I know already what's going through your head. No, Nick, you are wrong because I respect you, and I respect you as an artist. You are an ice cream artist, right? They wouldn't go into Michelangelo's studio and throw sprinkles all around, did they? Did they go see? Uh, did they go see Raphael and the Raphael Pat, the sprinkles all around? Did you have a question? I can't. Uh, you know I got to get back to work. That's <laughs> yeah, one question. How is the now, Nick? You tra you trans you um, transitioned from the restaurant business to the ice cream business, and we all know the restaurant business in the best of times is hard. It's a challenging business. How is it different being a food artist in a restaurant compared to a food artist in a ice cream operation, ice cream shop? So. Just take food, for example, buying and selling food, right? Everything else, every other business element out of it. The, you know, for me, literally, I'm playing a game every day with whatever item that I buy at a restaurant, whether it's lettuce, a piece of tuna flown in from Hawaii, a nice steak, whatever it is, a mushroom, right? Doesn't matter. All these foods have a time before they perish. It could be two days. It could be a week, whatever it is. You're constantly playing this game where Oh, I bought this that day. It only has a couple of days. Can we turn it into something else? It, it, it's a headache. And obviously with my Italian culture, food is a big part of who I am. You know, that's why I even opened a restaurant. I was a chef my whole life since I was 14. I was working at a restaurant. Um, I really don't know anything else. But if, like I said, just take the food aspect of it. You know, you're buying expensive stuff still. You're buying vanilla beans. You're buying a single origin chocolate. You're buying very expensive things but the great thing about them is you know you make it into ice cream and you put it in your freezer and then you don't have to worry about it you know so it's a lot less stressful and once you start taking stress off your plate and you could get back to doing what you actually enjoy it's just a better feeling all around you know it's that it was it wasn't so much of like um a, a business decision it was more of like a life decision too is there a lot of pressure in the ice cream business that you have to make all your money in the summer is it becoming now an all-year do you still get business in January, December, February, or is that kind of like a hiatus time for you? And the real intensity is the summer. Great question, Pat. So with us, I'd say we're a little bit different. You know, we have this big 5,000 square foot space where we're making everything homemade. So we're a little different. Yeah, I have bills in the wintertime. And yes, the money is way different than summer. But things like the sprinkle room and our boozy milkshakes and shipping nationwide definitely help get you through the winter months. All in all, it, it is a factor, but it's not as big as you think it would be unless, you know, you have a pandemic going on and you can't, you can't sell any ice cream. That'd be the only reason to really worry. Yeah. Nick, my last question. Um, because you are Italian, um, Southern Italian, which even brings it to the next level, <laughs> do you make any products that are foreign to Americans but are very much part of the Southern Italian ice cream and even more particularly the Neapolitan ice cream experience? Like Coville, the Zucotta, even the Italian-American stuff like the Spumoni, Tortoni. Do you dive into those pools? You know, uh, Easter time, we try to get some traditional things. It, it's hard, you know, because some things sell, some things don't. So, you know, you, you, you try. Even when we were thinking about opening the shop, an idea that I always had because the Italian-American flavors really started everything and are so popular, I was thinking about always having like an ice cream case in the store with just the Italian American flavors, you know, the Italian flavors, it's hard, you know, and that's why we're not calling it gelato too. You have to kind of fit that mold. And it's literally the Italian American in a nutshell. Like you grew up in this amazing country with all these things. You know, I, I literally got upset when I was younger because I found out that all my friends called their father dad and not Papa, you know, I, 
you know, you just, <laughs> you're different, but you want to fit in at the same time. You know what I mean? I, I, I remember I never called my father Papa after that. You know, wow. I don't know why. I have no idea why, but wow. it, it just, you want to fit in. You know what I mean? So if you go to Italian, as much as we all love it, yeah, you'll get your paisans and people who love it, but you're not selling to the majority, you know? I know exactly how that is because, uh, you know, I run a business where people are sometimes confused and they're like, well, are you, you're either, you either have to be authentically traditionally Italian or you have to be totally Italian American, but they don't accept that like Italian American can actually be really refined and it can be serious. And it's something that people, I understand like people not understanding like, well, well, what are you doing here? You know, they, they kind of expect it's like, is it gelato or is it ice cream? Like I, you is have it, to- yeah, you know, is, is, is it gelato or is it ice cream? Then what is gelato? Gelato, you know, oh, gelato means ice cream in Italian. That's you know? our whole conundrum as people. We have to look in the mirror every day and say, am I a gelato or am I ice cream? That, that, yeah. that is the Italian-American conundrum. John, every day. John, that is the greatest T-shirt yeah, of all time. It'll be out in a couple. John, as soon as this episode airs, John, that'll be out. you are the mother of all T-shirts. And that is the greatest T-shirt. No, because I feel like even with, with Italian-American products like the Tortoni and the Spumoni, that was very much a Neapolitan, um, I'd say from the 1890s into the pre-World War I era into the 20s and 30s. And then it kind of, you know, I don't want to say died out, but food immediately evolved too. And there's certain arcs of taste that exist also here to borrow the soil foods, you know, soil food terminology, like the Spumoni and the Tortoni, which you may not be able to find in the South of Italy, you could still find here. Yeah. But Nick, I, I have to say this. I have very severe food allergies. And because of them, I've had to make everything at home because I can't go, I, I, I have, a, I, I got to be super careful going to ice cream shops or Italian bakeries and stuff because of cross-contamination. I have been able to successfully produce at home everything as good as what I have found in butcher shops or bakeries after much experimentation and much science and much study and the buying of the proper ingredients and the proper equipment. The one sector that has defeated me and I have given up because I realize it is for someone else to do is ice cream. I had never realized how difficult it is to produce ice cream. I got a machine with a compressor, gelato company. I got the state-of-the-art stuff. And it was like a rabbit hole. And I would start to go down. And then I realized you need like skim milk powder and this and that. And then the ice, uh-huh. ice cream freezes and it forms crystals. And how do you keep the crystals? It just got so complicated. I'm like, I can make ice. I can make a very good ice, uh, a lemon ice that's as good as what you can buy in a gelato place at home, a granita, as good. But when it comes to ice cream, I take off my hat and I bow and I say to the gelatayo, is that the noun? Yeah. That, yes. That's how I feel, Pat, about pizza dough. <laughs> I feel the same exact yeah. way about uh-huh. pizza dough. And I feel the same way about Neapolitan and new American, American Italian Neapolitan dough. It has just a little bit more crisp, right? Yeah. But that's one of those things where you have to understand food so much and be doing this for you know, 20 years, 10 years, whatever it is. And that's one of the issues we're having with nationwide shipping. You know, it's a product that you want to dip your spoon into it and it's creamy and delicious and luscious, but it also has to be negative two degrees to eat. Yeah. You yes. know, how the hell do you do that? You know, you got to understand, you got to really understand the science of food. You know, it's a lot of trial and error. Not to mention Nick's using only natural ingredients. I mean, like your mint ice cream is from the mint that you grow. You know, I know the care that you put into everything being all natural and you know, you look at a company like Breyers, it's one of the oldest companies in the country, but uh, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, they lost the ability to use the term ice cream on their packaging because there's so much chemical preservative in it yeah. that it's now called a frozen dessert. And, you know, uh, that's a fine line. You're as much an artist as you are a scientist. I know you so well, and I know your absolute dedication to quality and the highest quality. This is love for food, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and researching and understanding and this is an idea. You know, everything starts with an idea and trying to execute an idea. And the more knowledge you have, the better your idea could be, you know? Some people, they're sticker shocked when they buy a very high-end gelato. Because, and listen, if you have like six kids and a mortgage, and yes, 100%, it is an expensive thing to buy, and you may not be able to afford it for your kids. I get that 100%. But sometimes people go into a gelato place, and like a very high-end, like an artisanal place, like what you have there. And like, oh, I can't believe it costs more than, you know, the chain ice cream place that's that's on the highway or down the block. And I'm like, do you have any idea how expensive 
if you want an all organic product or all, you know, collaborative zero product or, you know, all, you know, a, a very high end product, the ingredients are expensive. The work is expensive. It's labor intensive. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, and it's a small business. You're, you're doing stuff by hand, you know, yeah, hand pack ice cream. And you tell me how I, I feel like all these people go and hand pack the gelato. <laughs> and then you tell me if this guy ain't, ain't earning his money. Take uh, the example that John said with the mints, right? Our mint flavor, it did. It started with me literally picking mints in a backyard of a restaurant in northern Westchester. So wild mint and food techniques, right? So blanch and shock. You get asparagus, green beans, whatever. You blanch and you shock them. They're still bright green. They're still tender and nice, right? So you could do the same thing with basil, herbs, anything, and it's bright green. So we blanch and shock over 50 pounds of hand-picked mint leaves. Not on and then we puree them into milk. It takes two days to make our mint chip ice cream. You know? I mean, that, if that's not passion. Yeah. That's I, Italian, I Nick. That's why you have young little Severo flying over your store. That's Italian. <laughs> that is an Italian brain. That is the quest. That is why you are in the league of Michelangelo and Raphael because their excellence came in the visual arts. Yours comes in the gastronomic arts. But the commitment to excellence, the commitment to detail, the dedication to perfection is the same DNA. That is why Gelatayo is a true artist, because of what you just said. That is why we are proud of you, man. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, man. No, it's true, though. You know, you just want something to be special and taste good, you know? And then, um, you know, unfortunately, I wish everything was free in this world, but, you know, you got to pay for good stuff. And I hope that, you know, nine times out of ten, people really do appreciate the product coming out of Bona, you know? When you're handpicking mint and the ice cream is bright green and there's no food coloring or extract, that's special, you know? Yeah, that's so. very special. That's what I love about getting stuff from you. And, you know, I want you to know we're coming to visit you very, very soon now that we're doing videos again on our YouTube channel. And I want you and Pat to create a sanguinach pig blood ice cream because Pat makes the best in the world. And I've eaten it when it's frozen because I can't wait for it to thaw out. I think it'll be the best flavor for the fall. Nick, we're going to start a revolution. So we'll do that. And then I'm going to put green sprinkles, white sprinkles, and red sprinkles in my, in my sprinkles. <laughs> Just don't throw them on the floor. And we're going to do, we're going to do like I, snow angels, but sprinkle angels. I love the sprinkles. Just don't waste them. And then for tradition, Pat, you're going to clean them up, okay? <laughs> I officially see Pat and Nick as like the odd couple of, uh, of Italian-American culinary one can make pizza dough, one makes ice cream, one's really neat, one's... That, that's way too smart for me. I... Hey, thank you. You're a millennial. That's them. I'm, I'm Generation X. You guys, <laughs> you are the children of Pee Wee Herman. That was your world. Let's throw sprinkles out. Of, uh, I came from the nasty, miserable Generation <laughs> X, Molly Ringwald, Breakfast Club. That's us. It's going to be okay, man. You will smile when sprinkles rain from the sky. You don't like, we don't like stuff like that. You're going to smile. Let me do this video. Don, when it rains sprinkles, make sure you have a slow-mo of, of Pat smiling. <laughs> We're going to bring right? an extra camera. All right, thanks, yeah. Nick. Good luck with All everything. Right, Nick. All right, guys. Nick, Sanguinacci Thank in the you. house, baby. Sanguinacci. Right. Love, love you guys. guys. Love you, Nick. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Ciao. Ah, oh, he's a fun guy. He's doing great stuff. He, I'm so proud of him. I'm, I'm proud to have a cousin-in-law like that. And he's, he works so hard to keep our traditions going. I really do want to go over there and make a video as soon as we can. Absolutely. As soon as this, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Nice. No, we're going to have it on the new podcast called the Italian American Generation X podcast. <laughs> That's going to be the sprinkle takeout because they get me. All those sprinkles. Are, it's aggravating me. Can you imagine the mess? And he's got to go clean the mess up. Pat needs to have a new podcast. I know he's got his own podcast. He's got to have another podcast called the Italian American Miserable Parts <laughs> Podcast. Miserable. <laughs> that new you? shirt that John designed, Manajala Misadia, that should be his. Uh, his <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Shirt. Just answer me this. Why are the sprinkles and make a mess? You could be hungry children. Give the sprinkles. Take all blue sprinkles. Feed, donate you them. Can't nourish anyone with sprinkles, Pat. You think? Let me tell you something, bro. You take uh, you take Nona and you put me in the room, and she's gonna be on my side 100. percent No, no, like go to a shelter and donate ice cream to no, anyone. No, but if you tell her the sprinkles are gonna fall out of the sky and they're gonna fall on the floor, what is she gonna say? What is your yeah, friend saying? Gonna be on air? I mean, air but that's sprinkles? and she would be an avid listener of your miserable. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? You we could should... be John. Wait, wait. I will tell you right now. You could be John's co-host on this. I'm gonna take Nona with me. As long as I'm on this podcast, you grab with me. We get along. 
where she had the St. Anthony statue built a relationship. You guys could talk about how she doesn't approve of using the hose to like cool off, but you know, it, you, can only, you can wash the driveway three times a day. Instead but, of his, know. instead yes, of his yes. COVID show, now that now that his COVID show is done, Manajit to Tiguanda will be the new show. That, I don't understand this. I can't wait to get you I there. I can't believe this. We, we, you know, this anti. You know, we talk about anti Italian American projects. How about anti generational ex projects? That's yes. the idea too. <laughs> Molly Ringwald is like our patron saint. <laughs> well, you have Pee Wee Herman, so tell me. It's another great uh, T-shirt. Dun, 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 dun. I think that's. Uh, I don't think you're you're equating correctly. <laughs> that is not. That is not who we had. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's why every millennial problem goes back to Pee Wee Herman. He, he wrote the that's script. Great. That's a whole. That's a whole other episode. Uh, no, I really cannot wait to get over there and film. It's going to be great. After all this conversation about ice cream, I know I'm going downstairs because I got a pint of Nick's stuff in the freezer. I hope I still have some tricolor cookie. That's my favorite. And uh, I definitely think when we get back to our filming schedule, that'll be one of the first stops because it's a great place, and I think. Sanguinach is going to be the hot flavor next year because I know Pat's is the best in the world. Oh my God, Sanguinach, sprinkle showers. I mean. <laughs> it's going to be quite an episode. We're going to need a whole new camera crew. But this has been a lot of fun. I'm dying for ice cream and I hope I have some downstairs. Uh, Ro, are you happy that we had an episode that was more in your wheelhouse than Colonial Times and Baseball? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'm really glad this episode wasn't like doing a calculus class in Chinese. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for doing uh, something I, I don't sound like a complete idiot when I talk about it. Well, you defended yourself. It. As the Italians say, you defended yourself quite well in the last episode. So I hope everybody enjoyed this one. And it's our way of wishing you a belated, happy National Ice Cream Day. Not that I knew that that existed until a few weeks ago. So from all of us at the Italian American Podcast... We hope you're going to go out and enjoy some gelato, some ice cream, some semifreddo, whatever it is that you love, a granito or two, after hearing all about how much our communities meant to the spread of this great treat. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you next week. Ciao, guys. You have got the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano, and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano.